Blog Talk Radio. We all have inner work to do. Real life, real faith is an opportunity to connect with Cheryl and her guests as they take you on a journey to help you become your authentic self. Whether you need help goal setting, developing coping skills, or connecting with a power greater than yourself, Cheryl is here to walk with you on your path to personal transformation. Get inspired as Cheryl lets you become an active participant or just sit back and glean from the messages delivered. It's Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan. Hello and welcome to Real Life, Real Faith. I am your host, Cheryl Lacey Donovan, and tonight I am actually broadcasting live from a high school basketball game, believe it or not. And uh, this is probably something that tonight, the son of tonight's guest, had an opportunity to do on many occasions before he was tragically taken away um, senselessly by um, someone who really did not have the authority to do what they did. Um, on last week, we had the pleasure of uh, interviewing Tracy Martin, who was Trayvon Martin's father. And tonight, we want to welcome to our broadcast Sabrina Fulton, who is the mother of slain teen Trayvon Martin. Um, it has been, uh, we're going on four years on February the 26th since Trayvon was sensitively taken away. And he would be, I believe, 21 on February the 5th, just a week away, had he lived to see this birthday finally legal, as a lot of the high school kids and younger kids love to get to that point. So, Sabrina, we want to welcome you to tonight's broadcast. Hello. Hello, Sabrina, can you hear me? Okay, I think that we must be having some technical difficulties. In the meantime, um, we just want to let everyone know that Sabrina Fulton is dedicating her life to transforming family tragedy into social change. Since the death of her 17-year-old son, Trayvon Martin, during the violent confrontation in 2012, she um, and Tracy Martin, for that matter, have dedicated their lives to trying to bring about change and transformation. And many of us know that um, even... Now, even since what happened to Trayvon, that it's rarely a day that um, that goes by that we don't turn on our television sets and see uh, someone that has been senselessly taken away. So uh, while we saw the hashtag Black Lives Matter begin with Trayvon Martin, we still find it uh, elusive to truly under- to truly believe or to truly see that acted out on the part of uh, ourselves and even on the part of government officials and um, also uh, also with those individuals who are uh, sworn to protect and to serve us. So we, we're, we're still striving for and trying to get to uh, uh, some end game as far as Black Lives Matter, and hopefully we'll have an opportunity to speak with Sabrina on tonight to ask her what that end game actually looks like, what it is that we are truly looking for and asking for with regards to not only justice, but with regards to Black Lives Matter. Um, we can even take that same term and trans 
transport it into what's going on right now in Detroit where the water supply is tainted because of poor choices and bad decision-making on regards of various government officials. And when we see the pictures and those individuals that are shown across our television screens, we uh, we see that they are inevitably majority African-American. So you still have to beg the question, do black lives really matter to anybody? Well, and then there are others, still others, who ask us the same questions about ourselves. When we find people gunning down nine-year-olds in alleys and, 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 and creating a lot of senseless murders and gang violence and things like that perpetrated on those who look like you, you, you have to ask questions, black, do black lives really matter? So tonight we're going to have an opportunity to uh, speak with Sabrina Fulton. Sabrina, are you there? Yes, I am. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Hello, and thank you so much for joining us here on tonight. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So you know what? We're going to uh, jump right on into this. I let the audience know earlier that Trayvon would be 21 on February February the 5th, uh, which I believe is next week, and then on the 26th we'll celebrate the four years since he has been gone. And I know one of the things that, that um, people asked you initially was whether or not you had gotten to a place where you could forgive, and I'm sure very early on that was difficult, but where are you with regards to trying to forgive what has happened with your son? Um, for the, for first of all, um, I have to be, I have to always be honest with myself first and foremost, and then I'm honest with the people that uh, I speak to, um, and when they answer that question, I think they're expecting an honest answer, and so exactly. I'm just, you know, just being myself and being real. I have not gotten to that point, and so um, it will have been uh, four years. Uh, February the 26th, but I'm just not there. I know um, by me being a God-fearing woman, but in due time, uh, I, I will forgive, but I'm just not, haven't gotten there yet. And you know what? I think that that is to be expected. That is a tough pill to swallow when, you know, one one day your son is just walking off going to the store and then the next thing you know you get this phone call that is truly devastating. And myself being a mother of two sons, one is 32 and the other one is 31, I cannot even imagine receiving that phone call and then to turn around. I, I happen to be a minister, a more ordained minister. And then to turn around and ask me or say to me, okay, now you have to forgive. Um, I agree with you. I know that it's something that I would have to do, but I cannot tell anyone that it would be easy for me to do or for me to get over. So one of the things that I know is that uh, right after what happened to Trayvon, they started the hashtag Black Lives Matter. And I see a lot of the protests. I see a lot of the things that, that are going on. But my question is, what what is our end game? You know, the, the protests are great, and I think they're necessary. The rallies that we have, I think they're great. I believe that they're necessary. But what what would that look like for us, the movement itself? What is the goal? What are we trying to get to in your in your mind? In my mind, um, I think that we know and we understand that we are never going to get to a point where it, we are equal. I, I, I think that as long as we strive into that point that 
we are doing our due diligence. But I think mm-hmm. we all know that we're never going to have the opportunity or we're never going to see that opportunity. Maybe the next generation will. But for our generation right now, we're just doing the very best we can to make sure that we're active in this struggle and how real the struggle is. I think that people are just sick and tired, and they're tired of doing nothing. They constantly see these cases on TV, on social media, um, in newspaper that says a black life was lost and no one is being held accountable. And, and, And we never forget the fact that we have, you know, a lot of black on black crime. We'll never forget that. But it's just that, you know, when it's black on black crime, somebody is being arrested, somebody is being charged for it, somebody is being held accountable. But it looks like when it's not a black person that's killing another black person, that that person gets off scot-free as if they have a license to kill African Americans. And so I just want people, you know, we understand, African Americans understand, but I think that other people need to understand that it's a crisis going on right here. I know it's a lot of issues in both countries, but we have to realize we have issues right here in our country with our young men and women being afraid to walk down the street, afraid to play their music too loud and, and different things such as that. So when you turn on the television and you see something like what happened in Ferguson or what happened to the young man who was literally walking away from the police officers and they still thought that um, it was necessary to shoot him 16 times. And for me, you know, when I see that, I hear them throw out this red herring all the time. Oh, they're doing it out of fear. They're doing it out of fear. But I I always um, tell them I, I don't believe that it's fear. I believe it's done out of a sense of entitlement and a sense of supremacy. I am entitled to do this, and when I tell you to stop because I am superior to you, you're supposed to stop. When I tell you to do whatever, I'm superior to you, and I expect that you're going to do that, and I am entitled to um, be in this position to do this to you. I am entitled to what I have, and I'm not going to let anyone else or any of you people really is what, what goes on in the mind um, take that away from me. So when you see those things transpire, what goes through your mind? Not, not, not. In addition to what you said, because I totally agree with what you said, but in addition to that, just they know that they're not going to be held accountable. So if Mm. I shoot another African-American, I know if I'm a white person, I'm not going to be held accountable. I'm not going to be arrested. I'm not going to go to jail. I'm not going to have a bond. There's no chance of that because Mm we see firsthand that the justice system does not work for African-Americans. So what is stopping them from continuing to shoot us? Okay, so we look at our justice system. We look at our judges. We look at the government. We look at our Department of Justice. Nothing is being done, or should I say, very little is being done. So, so, in your, in your so in, if there's no accountability, if 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 we can rob a bank and get away with it, then we, we all would be robbing banks mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we need the money, right? Right. Hello, somebody. <laughs> 
So look, when we when we think about the justice system and the way that it's designed now, we already know that there are a lot of things that um, need to be changed. So the first thing that I want to um, ask you is this is a two-part question. First thing is what would change look like in our justice system? But then the second question is this. Uh, a lot of times when some of us who are able to go to jury duty, because I recognize a lot of our, a lot of people, um, uh, African Americans, may or may not be able to go to jury duty because of things that may be on their record, felonies, and what have you. But there are a lot of us to jury duty, and it did not go past me that when I looked at the jury in Trayvon's case, that 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 um, the jury that was there was not really representative of someone who could understand some of the things that we're talking about here tonight. So the second part of the question is this. What do you say to other African Americans who could go to jury duty but decide not to and look for ways not to be able to participate? They look for an out so that they don't have to go and do their civic duty. Uh the first question that you asked about the justice system, we know how unjust the justice system is. And 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 now not only are African Americans knowing that the justice system is unjust, but now we have people from other nationalities just as well are saying the same thing about the justice system. It's not us complaining anymore about what's going on and how unfair African Americans are being treated. So there are other people that's realizing that there's a problem um, directly related with the justice system. Um, I think change looks like them being more fair with it and them applying the same rules. I don't know if you guys can hear it's a loud noise. Yeah, I was I was explaining to everyone in the beginning that I'm actually coming live from a basketball game. Oh, I, I didn't know if people <laughs> was able to hear that. Yeah, like something. Okay, so so the, the 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 justice system to me would would the change would look like, um, you know, the laws being applied the same way, the punishment being applied the same way. Um, we just have so many things against us right now, even with lawyers and attorneys. Um, a lot of people have, have to get um, a, a court-appointed uh, uh, attorney because they can't afford an attorney where other people in different classes are able to pay, you know, hundreds and thousands of dollars for a good attorney. So, you know, that makes their chances of getting out of jail or not going to jail a little better by the mere fact that they're able to pay somebody in order to to get that specialist to come in, to get that professional to come in to fight against their cases when a lot of African Americans cannot afford that particular um, attorney. And so it, we, we have a lot of things stacked against us, and we have to realize that, but things need to change within the justice system. The other thing about the jury duty is we did have some African Americans that were selected for the jury pool, but the defense in our case, um, what they decided to do is to get rid of those African Americans for whatever reason they came up with. It was a reason why they didn't need that particular black person, why they didn't need this woman, this man, you know. So by process of elimination, they got rid of most of the black the African-American people that were on our case. 
that's why that's a part of my conversation now. When I go to speak, that's one of the things I talk about, not only being a registered voter and going out to vote, but that piece of paper that you get in the mail for jury duty, how important it is because it might not be your child. It might be somebody else's child. But at the end of the day, you may be needed to be that voice of reason, to be that open-minded person on that in that jury pool to, to decide on somebody's life. And in our case, the jury just was like, they didn't they didn't understand they didn't understand about a hoodie they didn't understand that they they at one point somebody said oh it was late at night no my son died at 7:17 it was nothing late at night about that my son was clearly followed chased pursued and profiled he was he was unarmed and I, it, it, and the, and the truth all came out but because of the jury pool that we had they decided to side with the person who has shot and killed my son. Another flaw that we have within the police department is we had a child that was 17 that was dead on the ground, and they ran a background check on my son who was dead and unarmed, but the person who had shot him who was holding the gun, they never ran a background check on him or did a drug and alcohol test on him but they did a drug and alcohol test on my son and ran a background check on my son, and he had not shot anyone. We put the, They put the whole focus on my son who was dead on the ground instead of the person who was walking away and went home and got in his bed that night. Wow, that is, that is, <laughs> that is just unfathomable that, that something like that can happen. And, you know, I, I, when I talk to people, you know, everybody said, oh, my goodness, look at all these people getting killed on TV, all these black men and all, you know, by the police and what have you. And my response is, but this isn't new. The only reason that we are privy to it now is because everybody has a camera. Everybody has a video recorder. So you can capture what's actually been going on for a long time, and it, it now it seems like it is um, – it's something new and something different. I mean, as far back as, you know, when we look at the civil rights movement and, and movies like Selma and things like that, these same types of issues were very prevalent, police brutality, the whole nine yards. So, I, you know, I, I look back then and I look at what we're doing now, and I wonder if we have the same type of organization that they had back then because a lot of times the reason that they were able to really effectuate some change is because they were highly organized, they created freedom schools, they taught people what to say, how to say it, when to say it, you know, how to protest properly, and they also had a lot of attorneys that were not afraid to go in and sue if they needed to, whether they want or not. It brought a lot of attention to the issues, and I wonder, um, because since I believe that you are – um, somewhat more uh, uh, in tune with what's going on with the whole Black Lives Matter movement, if we have that same type of organization now that can really bring about some some real change, not just give it lip service, but some real change? Well, I think that um, what we have now is we we are better able to communicate through social media um, they were able to do a million hoodie rally for us in New York uh, a couple of months after Trayvon was murdered 
within a few days, like in three days, and they had maybe about 40,000 people that were out there. So we're able to disseminate information, like, rather quickly. We're able to find out about different stories rather quickly. We're able to organize rather quickly. And even with uh, Change.org and different petitions that go on, they they get out rather quickly. But on the flip side of that, you have people that's using things against us as well. And so we are fighting a never-ending battle. We will continue to fight. But I think our young people have woken up and they're they're not sleeping to what's going on. And so they are part of trying to make positive change. They are part of, because we're going to turn this over sooner or later. Our fight is going to be over, and we're not going to be able to fight anymore. So we have to pass the baton to our young people. And I think our young people are less tolerant about what's going on now. they rather just burn the whole city down, you know, and, like, start all over, which we think in, 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 in our age bracket that, no, you don't want to do that. You don't want to tear up your community, but... They are radical activists, and they want to see something done. And sometimes you have to be radical when you want want to see something done. I mean, I don't want to get arrested, but uh, uh, for protesting. But I have, if I have to, I will. I just make sure I have my bond money uh, ready. But at the same time, I'm not afraid to go to jail. If they're going to arrest me for standing up for what I believe, I just got to swallow that pill when I get there. And and you have a lot of people that refuse to go to jail, that refuse to be arrested, that 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 don't want people to know that they support Black Lives Matter. You have a lot of closet people that are saying, oh, I support this, and they check like on Facebook and Instagram. They, they want to repost and everything behind their computer. When you're really not doing anything when you do that, you're just showing whoever is doing that Facebook page that you support them. But at the same time, more has to be done when they have rallies and they have marches and they have petitions and different things and they have meetings, they have council meetings and things like that. They need to participate in it. And then also when the nonprofits, and I mean nonprofit organizations, such as Urban League and the National Action Network and NAACP and the uh, Rainbow Push Coalition, organizations such as those, you need to find out what they're all about and line up their uh, values and what they're doing, what, what you're trying to do, and, and participate in one of those organizations and one of those nonprofits because they already have a mission statement. They already have a purpose, and you're just going to key into what they already have instead of creating something totally new. Well, I definitely agree that I don't think we need to reinvent the wheel. I believe we already have a lot of the things that we need in place. It's just a matter of being able to connect to them and uh, bring everybody together so that we can have one focus. I like what um, what uh, Al Sharpton says all the time, you know, we rallying may not be for everybody, but you may be able to do another piece. Uh, you may be very good at social media and getting the word out. You may be very good at organizing. So whatever your piece is, you need to identify that and bring your gifts and talents to the table so that we can all make sure that change truly does happen. What, what has it been like for you being into the, uh, into the public eye? I'm sure this is not something that you ever had anticipated, but how has that transition been for you? Because now you are uh, an icon. 
Well, I, I mean, I just feel like I feel like I'm the same person, but I know I'm just doing something differently. Um, I, I, I'm from Miami, and so um, I work for the government. And well, I worked before for the government. I've retired since then. And and now I'm just basically running the Trayvon Martin Foundation and also doing speaking engagements. And so um, I'm getting my message out. I'm I'm serving a purpose, and I think I'm I'm doing. You know, I'm really trying to be the voice for my son who's not here, who was murdered. And so I have to talk about those uncomfortable subjects. Um, such as discrimination and racial profiling and, and you know, uh, being wrongly accused and, and just just a, a whole list of different things. So I'm not afraid to speak out. I never have been. I just think that um, what I'm doing is just to a magnified level now. Um, I still am very close to my family. Um, I still live in Miami. Um, and so I see what I'm doing as a purpose, as a mission, and I just feel good when I feel like I can touch another family, when I can try to help another family, when I can get the word out to somebody else so that this does not happen to their child. And so a lot of people don't quite understand, they don't quite get it um, because it has not happened to them. And so... Um, but but we do, by the same token, have a lot of people that's praying for us and supporting us and stood with us and still standing with us. You know, um, we have a, a Facebook page, of course, and, you know, we we have a website, and, and they continue to show their love through the website and the Facebook page and even through my personal page, you know, and, and we really appreciate that. But um, we just have to make sure we don't just follow a story because it's the hottest story and it's what's happening now because at the end of the day, that person has to deal with that loss the rest of the, their lives. I have to live with the fact that I have two sons, one in heaven and one on earth for the rest of my life. I have to carry my heart, uh, my broken heart for the rest of my life. And so a lot of people see it as a story and they move on to the next story and they move on to the next story and they move on to the next story. But as I talk to the families um, such as um, Dr. King's family, Dr. such as Emmett, Till, Emmett, Emmett Till's family, uh, Oscar Grant's family, uh, Jordan Davis' family, Tamar Rice's family, um, Marlon Brown's family, uh, Ablo Diablo's family, uh, Eric Garner's family, uh, just uh, uh, Sandra Bland's family. These families, we connect, we get together, we see each other, we pray for each other, we laugh together, we hug together, we cry together. But it's not a story for us. It's our life. And so a lot of people, they jump on the wagon and then they jump off the wagon when, when, when the story dies down. But people have to understand these are lives that you are dealing with. This is not a story. This is not a story for me. This is not the Trayvon Martin story. This is Trayvon Martin's life, and this is going to be something that I have to deal with the rest of my life. And so I feel like it's just my mission, my purpose is just to let other people know that, listen, this could happen to your child too. You know, and so we all have to do our part. It's important that we do our part. We not we We can't just sit back and just let 
other tragedies happen until it happens to us, and now we are part of that awful circle. So we have to well, actively do something. Yeah. Well, Real Life Real Faith has pledged that they are going to help support um, the Trayvon Martin Foundation in any way that we can. We've been in contact with the liaison to try to find out ways that we can participate in ways that we can support what you're doing because I agree. It could be any one of us at any given time. You know, there, there's, there's a saying that says, uh, there about the grace of God go I. So I think that it's important for all of us to find a way to be able to participate, to, to get the word out, to let people know that we're no longer going to sit back and just allow um, other ethnicities to do what they choose to do to us. Um, so just know that, that we're pledging to do that in any way that we can, and we will continue to be in contact with the liaisons there at the foundation to find out things that we can highlight and that we can let other people know about and talk about so that we can continue to change the narrative by telling the stories that need to be told. Um, and before I let you go, one of the things that I normally ask all of our guests that come on the broadcast is uh, what will their legacy be? So what will Sabrina Fulton's legacy be? Um, it's, it's not actually my legacy. It's actually Trayvon Martin's legacy that we're creating for him. So his parents, um, myself and Tracy Martin, have stepped up to the plate and said, Trayvon is not here to speak for himself I have to speak for Trayvon. So I am Trayvon Martin. I am the voice of Trayvon Martin. When you see Sabrina Fulton, when you see Tracy Martin or Javaris Fulton, you are looking at a piece of Trayvon Martin. And so um, sometimes I have to put on my hoodie. Sometimes I, I, I just have to show people that, listen, that was my son. I love him to death, but at the same token, I need to make sure I try to help somebody else. I could save, if I save one life, then that has done something for the Trayvon Martin Foundation. And so our mission is more of empowering, more of healing, um, more of awareness. We want to bring awareness to this awful issue of profiling. Uh, and we can't continue to dance around the subject. We have to hit it head first. And we have to talk about it. We have to make other people talk about it. We all know the struggle because we're in the struggle. We are part of the struggle. We are the struggle. And so we have to make sure that people are aware of the struggle that we are experiencing because a lot of people, a lot of people don't quite understand what we're complaining about because it has not happened to them. And, that, and you know, I think awful. It is bad. It's terrible. And, I, you know, I think about the things that happened in Nazi Germany and the same, it was sort of almost the same effect. You know, people say, well, as long as it's not happening to me, then I'm not worried about it. I'm pushing it aside. And then when it meets them at their doorstep, then all of a sudden they get this epiphany and they understand and recognize what's truly happening. Well, Sabrina, I just want to let you know that we will continue to be praying for you. And like I said, we will be doing everything that we can um, based on the information and feedback that we get as to how we can fit into what the overall picture is. But I also want to thank you so much for joining us here tonight. And I want to thank you for doing what you do in spite of the tragedy that has uh, come into your life. And I thank you for having me on the show, Real Life, Real Faith. Um, I ask everybody just to go to TrayvonMartinFoundation.org and, and just take a look at some of the things we've done and some of the things that we're doing. Thank you. 
Absolutely. Well, everybody, that is that was Sabrina Fulton. She is the mother of slain teen Trayvon Martin. It will be four years, February 26th, since her son had, was tragically taken away from her at the hands of George Zimmerman. He would have been 21 years old on February the 5th. We just want to thank you, as always, for joining us here at Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan. And as I said before, we are just trying to change the narrative and tell the stories that need to be told. As always, we want to remind you that God can do exceedingly and abundantly more than you could ever ask or think according to the power that worketh in you. Be blessed.